Well, since Standing Room Only started, one of the biggest changes I've seen in attitudes towards art and artists has happened in Ōtautihi Christchurch. Just think how much artists contributed to the city's emotional recovery from the earthquakes through community projects like Gapfiller. Before the quakes, Neil Dawson's monumental sculpture, The Chalice in the Square, was initially criticised, but within days of its unveiling, it became an impromptu shrine for the victims of 9-11. Several years earlier, in 1998, the SCAPE Public Art Event had started commissioning works by international and Kiwi sculptors and artists. Some of the sculptures stayed, but most of them were temporary. Some attracted criticism, but they all got people talking. After nearly a quarter of a century, SCAPE's founder and executive director, Deborah McCormick, is standing down in March next year. Deborah's last SCAPE will see her tick off one of her long-held ambitions to secure a permanent sculpture for Christchurch by Auckland-based artist Dr Brett Graham. I talked both to Deborah McCormick and Brett, first asking Deborah to take us back to the light bulb moment that led to the Scape Public Art event. Well, I was looking for a job, really. My mum said to me, OK, you've got this expensive degree, Deborah. What are you going to do with it? And so I had to think on my feet quite quickly. And I'd come from a background in business. Um, we came from a farming background to the city. I went to the University of Canterbury School of Fine Arts. My brother was doing finance. If you say it fast enough, it sounds the same, but it's not. So I had to put together a proposal, and I took it to the council, and I met Warren Pringle, who was an independent producer promoter who'd come back from London looking for a way into the local art scene and together we shaped up a proposal for a one-off exhibition called Art and Industry and that then grew to setting up a trust. It was all about public art and how we produce temporary and permanent public art mainly in Christchurch City. Um, But the vision was always a biennial and then it changed in uh, 1999 to become an annual season A recent vision 10 years ago was to have an art full city and I believe that we have that now. There's most of the central city uh, streets that you can stand on um, and you can look forward and see another sculpture and walk further and there's a whole network, a public art network now in Otatahi Christchurch City which is made up of many, many people, not just scape. But we were very much the avant-garde when we started 25 years ago, and it wasn't without controversy and um, a lot of newspaper uh, articles and people uh, writing letters and ringing our office and saying to us, that's atrocious what you're doing. Why are you doing that? (laughs) Does that ever still happen, or have we got through that Rubicon, you know, (laughs) and people go, I don't have to love it, but I can appreciate the creativity behind it? Definitely. We've definitely achieved that. In our latest um, series um, of sculptures, which is currently on in Christchurch, our public artworks, our season, which runs until the 29th of January, the audience statistics are high. All of our visitor um, experiences are full. All of our curatorial tours are full. We've run out of our maps already. We don't have people phoning the office or emailing with um, negative comments. We have a lot of really good feedback, but I suppose it's been built up over a network of audiences and exposure to Christchurch audiences and challenge to Christchurch audiences, as well as people um, coming to expect the work now and be surprised by it when a new work arrives. Well, Brett, you're working on a new work. We'll talk about that in a moment. But you've also been involved with SCAPE previously. Um, What was that experience like for you as an artist? And do you think that SCAPE has helped to 
change the landscape, if I can use that phrase, you know, in terms of people's attitude towards public art? It's been fantastic to go down to Christchurch and see the effects of, of scape and how far-ranging they've been with all the public works. It's made such a huge difference. There was a big Tony Craig sculpture at Christ College where my work was called Plot, and um, to have work alongside internationals like that was is really wonderful. It's, it was fantastic to to see the number of sculptures in Christchurch. So, and those kind of reactions that you were talking about are always inevitable. But it's interesting how the public, they'll sort of resist these things and then they'll, they'll come to love them to the point where they defend them. So, and, and want to hang on to them, right? That's absolutely right. And then they, they sort of see them as part of their territory, their turf, and, um, and claim them. So it's a slow process, but... Um, I always love to see how people will, will take charge and, and ownership over works over time. I mean, you've got some great examples, I imagine, of, of exactly that, Deborah. You know, works that maybe were a bit controversial at the time, but ultimately, you know, locals wanted them to stay. Absolutely. So the first project we ever did, which was really groundbreaking, was a ziggurat by Pauline Rhodes, um, which is a 10-metre high pyramid shaped out of gabions and river boulders, um, produced by Fulton Hogan. So it really set the scene of art and business. So the transaction was the idea of the artist, coupled with the know-how can-do of business. And that was placed into Hagley Park. And it was a much um, talking point, and uh, it was, what is that doing there? That's not art. That's not a sculpture. By the end of it, it was a much-loved work where lots of children had climbed all over it. It was an interactive work. It was celebratory. It was looking forward at the year 2000. It was um, looking at that marking point. And it was only intended as a temporary work, but it still lingers in people's mind as being an absolutely seminal work in terms of scape, in public arts history in Christchurch. Uh, the artist Pauline wanted the work to be removed and the stones to be returned back into the supply chain and the earth to be returned back to a playing field again. So, you know, there's different ways that we have been able to introduce publics in Christchurch to art over the years. You must just be at your happiest when you're walking through the city and... Because you know the backstories and you know the artists, but having changed, as I say, changed the profile, changed the face of the city that you love with these works. I do feel immensely proud and I, I'm grateful to all the people that have contributed because it's the sum of many, many parts. I think in one of our scape uh, seasons, you look at uh, the sponsorship and I was asked to go and speak to another public art organisation around the country and they counted up all the sponsors that were on that newspaper and they said there's a lot of work in that. And there is, because it's also been a very unique model. We don't just get a grant at the start of the year and we've got a line item and we go about achieving a programme. You know, there's 80% of our work is fundraising. But yes, I do feel immensely proud. I don't think there's many places where you can go in the city and you can see soon a Brett Graham and Anthony Gormley and a Bridget Riley and a Michael Parakofi, all in one central city block. Now, Brett, the work that you are 
sounds like physically very hard work working on at the moment, is going to find its new home in the city about the time that Deborah leaves, you know, first quarter of next year. So, I mean, I see that almost as a, as a gift to her as well as a commission. But tell me about this. It feels, I mean, you are an ambitious artist, but this feels physically very bold. Oh, thank you. I, I made it with uh, a friend of mine who's a fine sculptor called Steve Woodward, and um, the work was in response to uh, the Scott sculpture, which is across the waterway, or Takaroa, the stream that goes through Christchurch, the river. And um, it sort of comes out of the light of, of how we've reassessed those historical figures and, um, and the monumental statues that flood Christchurch and Auckland and Wellington, our city. So it's very much in the spirit of looking at the, at the Scott sculpture and reassessing the legacy of Britain and the British Empire. And um, and so this work is vertical. It's, it's quite low, and I like to think humble. <laughs> and it references his journey. So there's a sp- spiral of mounds that sort of represent the journey of Ova Edmondson, who was um, often forgotten in that story of of the exploration of the South Pole and and so it's a homage to, quite homage to him really as a sort of a counter story to or counter narrative to the Scott statue which stands so proudly on the other side of the river. Now it may be humble but you imported a nine ton piece of Norwegian Arctic white granite which sounds gorgeous and of course heavy <laughs> and large but was that important to the story you're telling to reflect Amundsen's story that this material comes from his home? Well, it was an epic journey in itself to get the the stone from Norway before the quarry shut because they shut down for winter and then put it on a ship and then bring it here. And, um, yeah, it was it was very important. So the work is called erratic, and an erratic rock in geology is a rock that's perhaps taken or moved by a glacier for a vast distance. So because the rock came from the other side of the world, I'm sort of talking about that. But on the other hand, how we choose to remember some historical figures and not others. Uh, so that that sort of intrigued me as well. But what I loved about Edmondson and his story is that he referred to indigenous knowledge or he deferred to it. He spent a lot of time with Inuits in um, Greenland and he learnt from them how to dress warm using furs and uh, and use dogs, sleds and so on. So he learnt, he took that indigenous knowledge and applied it to his uh, exploration of this, uh, which led to his journey to the South Pole. Whereas Scott, he sort of become this tragic figure. And of course, the, Britain at that time didn't value indigenous knowledge and uh, he possibly lost that journey because of just following convention and conventional means. Yeah, he was weighed down, wasn't he, with lots of equipment and machinery. I was listening to um, Tim Harford's podcast, Cautionary Tales, and I I realised that I knew very little about Amundsen. It was all about Scott's story. I don't know that I would have liked him very much. He was a curmudgeonly, dour type of guy, but my goodness, he (laughs) knew what he was doing. So I think this is quite beautiful, because here in New Zealand, I think that attention has been on Scott and Scott's victorious failure. Yes, it's all been about tragedy, but the statue was made in 1917, so it's when World War I was coming to an end, and they needed heroic examples. So 
you know, his statements like, I do not regret this journey, which shows that Englishmen can endure hardships, help one another and meet death with as great a fortitude as ever in the past. It has this sort of pathos, this tragedy, that, and also this belief in self-sacrifice for the, for the greater good, for the empire, which is perfect copy for World War I. Whereas Edmondson, you know, his diaries are interesting because they're so laconic. You know, you'd think he was walking down the road to get some milk. His sort of quotations are all, victory awaits him who is everything in order. Luck, people call it. Defeat is certain for him who has neglected to take the necessary precautions. In time, this is called bad luck. He's very matter-of-fact about, you know, about his preparations and then his eventual success. So it's interesting, again, reading about those stories and how we choose to remember Scott and over Edmondson. Deborah, listen to, to Brett there. These are the stories that, and the artists that you've worked with now for these 25 years. And when you commission the work, when you approach someone like Brett, do you, can you go to them with a, an open brief and say, hey, Brett, love your work, create something for us, maybe suggest where it's going to go? I mean, how do these conversations happen and how, you know, how much guidance are they given? How much freedom are your artists given? Well, we work through a different process for the permanent and the temporary work. So for the season, um, we are just concluding the third year with Jamie Hinton as the managing curator. So he comes up with the theme and the selection of artists, and then we invite those artists to come and be in Christchurch with us and to visit sites and then respond with a proposal and we produce them. So that's an invited model. Um, We've also worked on the limited selection model before where we've invited two to three artists, paid them for a concept and then made a selection. But this was a a no-brainer really. I mean, we have been wanting a Brett Graham in Christchurch for a long time. So I think it was definitely uh, an omission from our city's collection of Brett Graham. So we went directly to Brett and we uh, worked through with him. He came to Christchurch. We did some site visits. Obviously, we're co-commissioning this with the council. It will become their asset in the end. So they came up with some site options. And then Brett came back to us with one work. He presented it, and I think you can hear today how compelling it is. It was just unanimous. Everyone was like, this is spot on for Christchurch. Christchurch is the gateway to the South Island. It is a really interesting commentary from a contemporary Māori artist about colonialism, which I think is is a really interesting way to bring another viewpoint to the surface. And it's it's an incredible um, sculpture made with great skill, and it will be there for over 100 years. So it's really going to be something quite beautiful to behold and something that we can be very proud of in Christchurch, Otatahi. Even though you know the concepts and the artists, Deborah, have you ever been overwhelmed when you have seen the sculpture that you've seen drawings of and you've heard about how they're made, when you've seen them in situ? And I'm not even so so bothered about what other people think of it. It's your visceral response to a work that maybe took you by surprise when you were right there in situ with it. Constantly. That's what drives me to do it every year. It's like giving birth. I mean, I've never had any children myself, so I wouldn't know, but these projects are bringing them into the world. They're being created for others to enjoy. So every year there's something. I mean, one of the works that absolutely, um, and often it's the trickier 
works and all those negotiations that you have to get, all those tiny negotiations, all those people that you need to feel comfortable with the process. But the Susan Phillips sound work that was in Victoria Square, I remember going to Sculpture Project Munster and coming across her work there, and it was a work that spoke across the water um, of two bridges. Um, so she's a British sound artist. And just standing in front of her work and having this incredible response, as you say, emotionally, viscerally. But this year, I think the one that I am had the most sort of wow factor from was really the Eddie Clemens cognitive reorientation, which is a, a car... Um, which has become quite an icon of the season. It's six metres up or seven metres up on a tower crane mast. Um, It's completely been gutted and it is pumped water from the basement of an empty site which flows out of the car and it's really quite a spectacle. It's stopping people in their tracks and it's, it's a work that is looking to the movie and film industry and really he's taken a scene from a Danish um, crime drama and he's turned that kernel of an idea into this absolutely brilliant spectacle um, that's a combination of Kiwi ingenuity, know-how, can-do, Christchurch industry businesses and it was the kind of project that everybody got when um, I went to them and said would you like to come on board sponsoring it. But it's one of those works that is bringing the most joy, I think, to people just in the streets. Um, and it's the audacity of the idea and the execution of it. Deborah McCormack, the outgoing Executive Director of Christchurch's Skate Public Art event and sculptor Dr Brett Graham, look out for Erratic's arrival in the first quarter of next year.